Good morning. It's a great honor and privilege to be with you this morning. Uh, what Pastor Mitchell just said about me stealing Emma is actually on our wedding video. So, you know, we've got it there, there forever that I'm the one that stole Emma. So I, I'm sorry about that. In fact, I, I'm actually not sorry, but, you know, your loss is definitely my gain. You know, it's, um, it's a great blessing to be able to come and celebrate your church anniversary with you. You know, Cos Harbour Bible Church is like uh, our parents, you know, in, in Lismore. You know, the church was sent out from here. And, you know, that's a compliment. I love my parents. So, you know, pl- please take that as a compliment. Do you know, I, uh, I personally love church anniversaries. You know, it is one of my favorite Sundays on the calendar uh, in Lismore. For it's a, a wonderful time where we can reflect upon uh, God's goodness and God's faithfulness. And, th- and that is a wonderful exercise uh, for our souls. Uh, so it is a great joy to be with you this morning. Now in our time together this morning, I'd like to consider uh, what I regard as one of the most spectacular portions of Scripture, and that is the high priestly prayer uh, of Jesus Christ. Uh, that's found in John chapter 17. So if you could open your Bibles to John uh, chapter 17, and it's here where we will spend our time this morning. I'm going to preach a sermon this morning that I have entitled The Christian Mission. Now for a church, for at a church anniversary, it does us well to remember why it is we are here. Uh, as believers, and that will be the focus for this morning. Uh, But before we begin, let's pray. In a mighty Father and loving God, we do thank you for your great goodness and faithfulness uh, towards uh, this local church. Uh, Lord, you have been uh, so good um, in in providing for this church over the last 39 years. Lord, we want to give all honour and glory to you for that. You know, Father, we do thank you for uh, your word, We thank you that you have uh, spoken to us. Father, we know that your word is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. We know that it is relevant and that it is sufficient. And Father, it is our desire uh, to hear from you this morning. This is the longing of our heart to be refreshed by the waters of the words. Father, this morning, please give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and receptive hearts this morning. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 17 is the greatest prayer ever prayed on earth. Here we have Jesus Christ on the night that he was going to be arrested and tried. He knew that the hour had come to accomplish that which he'd been sent to achieve. He would not be in this world any longer. And as was the custom of the time, a prayer was offered before one departed. This scene before us is a farewell discourse, but it is like none other. You know, one author commenting on this prayer said, you know, this chapter is the most remarkable in the Bible. It stands alone and there is nothing like it. We have here the prayer of one who spake as never a man spake and prayed as never a man prayed. We have here a prayer which is um, singularly full of deep and profound expressions 
They're so deep indeed that we have no line to fathom them. That's John 17. This text is glorious. It's rich. No, in fact, it's holy ground for the believer for at least two reasons. Reason number one, Jesus is praying. Isn't that wonderful? And it's our privilege to listen in as God the Son converses with His Father. We get this unique insight into the Trinitarian relationship. It is as though we are among the disciples on the night before Jesus was crucified. And we get this glimpse of the glorious beauty of inner Trinitarian communication. The intimacy between the Father and the Son is there to see. And we get to listen in as Jesus petitions his Father. The veil is drawn back. And we are escorted by Jesus Christ into the very throne room of God. This is our great privilege as we dive into the depths of this text. But secondly, this text is brilliant because it gives us a glorious insight into one of Christ's present ministries. And that is his work of intercession. Jesus Christ is currently interceding on behalf of believers. Romans 8.34 says, Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who maketh intercession for us. And this prayer is a foreshadowing of Christ's intercessory work. So this is what this prayer pictures. Now, this high priestly prayer, which should really be known as the Lord's Prayer, can be broken up into three main portions. He prays for himself from verse 1 to verse 5. He prays for the disciples from verse 6 down to verse 19. And then he prays for the church from verse 20 down to verse 26. And this morning, I want to draw your attention to the portion of the prayer for his disciples. Now, I understand that the immediate application is for the 11, but it isn't limited to them. For verse 20 says, neither pray I for these alone. And the message that I want to bring this morning is also clear throughout many other New Testament texts. And hence, the mission for the disciples applies equally to us all. So I'd like to take the time to read the portion of prayer that is dedicated to the disciples. So John chapter 17, and I'd like to read from verse 6. John chapter 17, and we'll read from verse 6. Hear the word of God as he speaks to us. Now I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst sent me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. 
The Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. And while I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. You know, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Amen. Now what is the mission of the church? Or what is the mission of the individual believer in this world? Now that is the question for this morning. And an important one it is. For what one sees as the mission or why it is that you and I are here will shape and govern how we live our lives. It is evident that God has a plan for us, that there is a mission, and that is clear from the very fact that we remain here once we are converted. If there was no point, if there was no plan, would we not just be taken straight to heaven? And, and yet we are not. You know, meaning there must be something that we are to achieve that we could not if we were in heaven. And the question is what? So what is the point of the Christian existence in this world? Now, is the primary point to experience fellowship with God? You know, is that it? Well, if this was the case, wouldn't it make more sense to go immediately to heaven, where fellowship will be perfect and completely unhindered by sin? Are we left here so that we can learn the scriptures? Is that the point? Well, if so, wouldn't it be better to be taken to heaven where his word is perfectly known and understood? Or perhaps personal holiness is the primary point of our existence. And yet in heaven we will be made perfect. We will be glorified. We're completely free from sin. So why not take us there immediately? Or maybe praising and glorifying God is the whole point of our existence. But again, going instantly to heaven where the praise is perfect and eternal would make more sense. So my friend, there is one primary reason why the church remains on this earth. You know, there is one thing that we can do now that we cannot do in heaven. And this reveals our mission to this world. And it is unveiled in this high priestly prayer. Now, within this prayer, the term world actually occurs 19 times with 11 of those occurrences within the middle portion of the prayer to the disciples that we are focusing on this morning. So it is evident from the sheer amount of usage that the point of existence in this world was something that Christ wanted to make very clear. Uh, but before we delve into this, there's an important 
exegetical point that I wish to make. You know, when the term world is employed throughout the scriptures, it can mean one of four things, and context determines the definition. So we can speak firstly of the planets, you know, that which was created by God. This is employed in John 1.10. He was in the world and the world was made by him. Secondly, it can speak of the inhabitants of the world, the people who live here. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Thirdly, it can be a reference to the inhabitants alienated from God, the unbelievers. John 15.18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. And fourthly, it can be used to speak of the world system, the world's values, philosophies, worldviews, way of life. And this could be summed up as Satan's system. And this usage is employed in 1 John, a verse I'm sure you know well, love not the world. So it's important to keep these distinctions in mind when we come across this particular term throughout the New Testament. So with that point being made, let's turn our attention to the text. For within, it reveals the Christian mission. And I have two very simple headings this morning that I want to consider to help us determine our mission. Now, the first heading is the consecrated mission. And the second heading is two common mistakes. So firstly, let's consider the consecrated mission. Let's read again verse 17. And 18. It says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. You know, Jesus, within this prayer for the disciples, has been discussing the concept of the world. Verse 11, and now I am no more in the world, but these disciples are in the world. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Verse 14, I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them. Verse 15, I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. Verse 16, they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So it's evident that the world is the central theme of this prayer for his disciples. Jesus was concerned about their role within this world that was against God. And hence he first prays for safety. Jesus makes it clear that this world will hate the disciples. They will be against them. And he asks for the Father to protect them. And as an aside, it should not surprise us when this world is against us. For Jesus said they hated me and they will hate you. So don't be shocked by hostility. Now after requesting safety, then in verse 17 we have what is probably the most well-known verse in this whole discourse. And Jesus asked that his disciples would be sanctified. This is a word that I'm sure we are familiar with. Sanctified speaks of being set apart, of consecration. Now this term has two components, and I suggest that they are inseparably linked. Now the first component of of sanctification speaks of separation from sin. It speaks of personal 
holiness. And this is what you and I generally mean when we employ this term. Now we use it to speak of our growth, of the lifelong progressive work of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God that is slowly conforming us to the image of Christ. Now, as believers, we have been saved from the penalty of sin. This is our justification. One day we will be saved from the presence of sin. That happens in heaven. That's our glorification. And in the here and now, we need separation from the power of sin. And that is our sanctification. And, and this is the daily grind for the believer who's striving for personal holiness. And according to verse 17, the agent of sanctification is the word. It is the scriptures. They are necessary for the believer's sanctification. Sanctification won't come without spending time in the book. The word is the instrument through which the spirit performs the inward work of sanctification. But there is a, a second component of sanctification. And that's the focus in in the text. And that is being set apart for a specific use. This was used of the priests in the Old Testament. They were sanctified unto God. They were set apart for special service. You know, one writer defines this component like so. Now, it is someone who is set apart for God and God's purposes alone. You know, that person will do only what God wants and hate all that God hates. And it is in this way that Jesus was sanctified. John 10, 36 says, Say ye of him whom the Father hath sanctified. So Jesus was set apart in eternity past for a specific use. So it's clear that it's Jesus' prayer for his disciples and also for his people today to be set apart. Apart. It is his will for you and for me to be holy and set apart for him. Now, the question is what are we sanctified for? What are we set apart to do? And this is the point that I want to make. Let, let's read verse 18. It says, As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. Jesus begins identifying the mission by first recognizing that he himself had been sent on a mission. Jesus says that thou hast sent me. Thou is a reference to whom Jesus is talking to, who we know according to verse 1 to be God the Father. So we are taught that God the Father sent God the Son to this world on a mission. The question is, what is it? What was the mission? Well, the divine mission is revealed in Luke 19.10, which says, "For For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. You know, that is why Jesus was sent. And my friend, just like Jesus was sent, he has now sent us. Now, our mission is an extension of his work. And he has sent us into the world to proclaim that Jesus fulfilled the mission that he was sent to accomplish. Our mission is to be a missionary. Every Christian, 
old or young, rich or poor, man, woman, pastor or not a pastor, has been sent by their Lord and Savior with the task to communicate God's truth to others. That, my friend, is our mission. And we better obey for we are under divine orders. This is my responsibility. It is your responsibility. We are sanctified. We are set apart for this mission. Now, this is why we have been left here, for we could not do this from heaven. We, we have been set apart and sent by Christ into this world to reach people with the glorious gospel message. That is our reason for existence. That is the mission. You know, this, my friend, is the primary reason the Lord allows His church to remain on earth to seek and to save the lost. You know, just as Jesus' reason for coming was to seek and save the lost. You know, as the Father sent Jesus, so has Jesus sent you. You know, the Scriptures are very clear that this is the reason we are here. For evangelism, for, for witnessing, for, for sharing the gospel. And, and just in case you're not convinced from this text, let me give you a few more. Now, what about the Great Commission? Uh, this text before us is a preview to the Great Commission where we are told, go and preach the gospel. That's pretty clear. Uh, Acts 1.8, you shall be witnesses unto me. Then there's Matthew 5. Jesus tells us we are to be lights in this world. Philippians chapter 2, holding forth the word of life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we are ambassadors entrusted with the ministry of reconciliation. And then there's Romans chapter 10, faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. And then Romans 10, 14, how shall they hear without a preacher? You know, and we could go on. You know, just as Jesus was sent into this world, so too has he sent you. He sent me. You know, this is the mission of the church and this is the mission of the individual believer to go into the world. You know, for you to, to go into Cos Harbor and share the gospel, reaching people for Christ. This is our divinely ordained purpose of existence. That is the point. And that mission ought to shape and determine how we live our lives. You know, and yet, if we're honest, we often struggle with this, don't we? You know, we, we don't do this like we should. And there are a pair of vulnerabilities that we are especially susceptible to. And this leads me to the second point this morning, two common mistakes. And the first mistake I have entitled worldly obesity. Now you're probably thinking, Brennan, what in the world do you mean? Well, hey, I'm glad you asked. You know, worldly obesity is gorging oneself on this culture. It is indulging in the ways of this world, adopting their philosophies, values, and standards. It is the church or the Christian who strives to be like the world in order to win the world, only for they themselves to become like the world and have absolutely no effect. Because the world sees straight through it, sees it for what it is, and that is hypocrisy. You know, that there is a vulnerability that we must be aware of. You know, yes, we are to be in the world, but we are to be different to them. For my friend, we are not of the world. And yet how often we live the exact same way. You know, we eat, we drink, and, and we be merry. 
We must understand that our lives are not some self-indulgence course where we chase bigger homes, nicer cars, greater experiences, wealth, power, fame, which is what so many Christians end up living for. But that's not the point of our existence. You know, we are here for spreading the good news of Jesus Christ. And to do this effectively, we cannot binge feed on this world. You know, we are to be different. Yes, we are to live in this world, but we are not to allow this world to live in us. But unfortunately, how often churches and Christians are just like the world. There is no difference. The catastrophe of compromise is embraced. Beliefs and standards are changed in order to be more seeker-friendly, to be more acceptable. The world is embraced, but this does not work in fulfilling our mission. Do you remember the words of Christ? Be ye the salt in this world. My friend, we are to be salt, not sugar in this world. You know, being like the world is not the way to win the world. We're embracing the way of this world will do little good. If we are to make a difference, we need to be different. In order to be successful in fulfilling our mission, we must not be suffering with worldly obesity. Now, there is a second vulnerability that hinders us fulfilling our mission, and that is worldly anorexia. You'll see what I mean. You know, how easy it is for us to completely withdraw ourselves from this world that we live in. Have no contact with them whatsoever. We practice a form of monasticism where we only spend time with Christians. We lock ourselves away from everyone else. We have no meaningful relationships with the unsaved. We completely purge ourselves from any involvement with the world whatsoever. You know, we fear contamination, so we we completely withdraw and treat everyone outside of Christ as though they have some some deadly disease that is highly contagious. You know, our mission is to be fulfilled in this world, and logic tells us that it cannot be achieved if we spend time with no one in the world. Now, how can anyone be one to Christ if we have nothing to do with them? Jesus obviously sensed this problem. For he says in verse 15 that it was not his will for the disciples to be withdrawn from this world. It is not Jesus' will for us to lock ourselves in complete confinement away from this world. He wants us to engage with people around us, have meaningful relationships with unbelievers. Invite non-Christians into your home for a meal. Invite them to church. Share the gospel. Remember, as one preacher said, your unbelievers are not the enemy, but the victim of the enemy. How can they be one to Christ if as a church and as individuals we have nothing to do with them? You know, we need to follow the example of Jesus. You know, he took upon himself humanity and dwelt on this earth so that we could be saved. And within his ministry, he was never backward in spending time with publicans and sinners. And if Jesus was willing to do this, then who are we to neglect it? You know, worldly obesity and worldly anorexia, you know, two vulnerabilities we must avoid 
in order to fulfill our mission. You know, my friend, the, the scriptures are clear that we have a divine mission. We are here for a plan. There is a purpose. And you and I have been sent into this world with the glorious gospel message. This is why we are here. And, and as a church and as individuals, let's be faithful to the mission. Let the gospel light shine brightly and make the conscious effort to establish meaningful relationships with those outside of Christ. You will be determined to share the gospel at every opportunity and pray that God would give you opportunities. You know, may we, with God's help, overcome all fear and realize the severity of the situation. And I think this is the point we often miss. For the mission that we have been sent on is a mission for souls. My friend, let, let that sink in. Eternal destinies are on the line. Well, may that reality hit home you know, and cure us of any evangelistic slothfulness that may be present in our hearts. You know, in your town, there are thousands of souls that, that don't know Jesus there are thousands of souls in my town who don't know Jesus. The question is, you know, what are we doing about it? You know, I, I understand we don't save, God does, so don't question my theology, it's fine. You know, but, but faith cometh by hearing. And, and how will they hear if we don't tell them? How will your neighbor hear? How will your family hear? How will your work colleagues hear if you don't tell them? Oh, it's time for us to stop making excuses and obey the mission. And as we obey this mission, Jesus promises that he will be with us. You know, brethren, let's be faithful to the mission. Let's go into this world and preach the gospel, for that is why we are here. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for uh, your word this morning. You know, thank you for the mission that you have sent us on. You know, thank you for including us you know, within this great work. You know, Father, we ask for, uh, for forgiveness for when we are slothful within this area. Lord, please help us you know, as a church and as individuals to remember why it is we are here. Lord, give us opportunities to speak a word for Christ this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor.